Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. Awesome. Do you bring a Bible with you today? Who's got a Bible with them? I think it's a great practice to, to, if you have a Bible, bring it with you. I make notes in my Bible. I mark it up. It's kind of, I'm used to it. But if you did not bring one, guess what? You have a phone. You can find your Bible on there. And if you don't want to use your phone for that because you're busy Instagramming through the service, no problem. We got it on the screen, okay? We want to serve you in any way that we can as we try to understand just a little bit more clearly who Jesus is today. We've been in a series of messages called It Is Finished. Could you turn to the person beside you and say, It Is Finished? If you've been here the last few weeks, we know, you know we've been talking around this theme. You could always go back, check it out on, on a podcast, and, and follow along that way. We tend to, on a monthly basis, have a, a little bit of a different theme that we build message on message. But today, I wanted to sort of stand alone. I wanted to stand alone because I know today would be a day around the world that more people statistically are gathered in church than any other day in the calendar. Because today, we celebrate that Jesus is alive. Now, the truth is he is alive tomorrow as well. He'll be alive next week. And as long as there's breath in our lungs, Jesus is is still alive. But today's the day that we mark on a calendar and say, we're celebrating the life of Jesus today. This statement, it is finished, was actually Jesus' famous last words. His last words while upon the cross was this statement, it is finished. I was looking at some famous last words recently, one by the, uh, the General John Sedgwick. He said, when standing up confidently amongst the ranks of soldiers looking across a field, he said, they could not hit an elephant from this distance. And it was his last words before a sniper took him out. Not the greatest last words to be said. Uh, apparently, one, one of the founders of the genre of television that we now know as soap operas, his last words as he, he breathed his last, gathered with friends and family, he said this, now for a final word from our sponsors. <laughs> I mean, that, that's someone who's just planned it out perfectly. Uh, one, one of the, uh, the, the kind of coaches and founders of Saturday Night Live who, who coached a lot of actors in improvisation, he said this, his final words, he said, I'm tired of being the funniest guy in the room. And, uh, and, and, and another you know, famous person, I, I don't remember uh, their name off the top of my head, but I remember their, their last words. I think it was Abbott Costello, I believe, Abbott or Costello. And he said this, either, <laughs> either me or the wallpaper have got to go. And that was his last words. You know, Mother Teresa, her final words, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Kind of cool. Man, wouldn't you love to be able to plan them out? To think what would be the thing you'd want to say that you'd want to commemorate your life. Jesus, as he was on the cross, being brutally killed, he spoke statements that echo throughout eternity. His, his death upon the cross was so brutal that in the time they needed to create a new word to describe it, pain wasn't good enough. Sorrow, not deep enough. Agony, not heartbreaking enough. And so the, in the Latin language, they came up with a new word combining together ex, which means from the, and crucis, which means cross. It's the, the word from which we derive the English word excruciating. They said, we, we need to describe that type of pain. You can't just say it hurt. You can't just say it's sorrowful. You can't just say it's agonizing. It's ex crucius. It's excruciating. It's the type of pain reserved only for the cross. 
The most brutal pain and the ultimate cause of death upon the cross was suffocation. As nail-pierced hands would give way in strength, shoulders would be dislocated, lungs would fill up with fluid and no longer be able to expel the carbon dioxide and you'd suffocate. So in this time, for, for Jesus to, to counteract all nature, which would be to only ever gasp for breath, he actually chose to stand up on nail-pierced feet and instead of just expelling and, and, and grabbing more breath to speak words of life. And his words echo through eternity. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Addressing the biggest issue in our life, which is sin, with this final conclusion, which is forgiveness. He stood up upon the nail-pierced feet and, and looked at one individual, not just the crowd, not just everyone who would be watching, and not just all of eternity, which in perspective we know Jesus was speaking to, but he spoke to the one individual on a cross beside him who said, hey, I, I feel like you're different than me. You don't deserve to be here. When you enter your kingdom, don't forget me. And Jesus stood up on a nail-pierced feet to address an individual. And he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Clarifying that, that heaven's not about streets of gold. It's not about gates made of pearls and, and, and angels and, and songs and feasts. Heaven is the presence of God. And it's available, it's near, and it's now. You'll be with me today in paradise. He stands up on, on his feet to address the heartbreak that was taking place in his own mom's life. Mary's at the cross. She's heartbroken. The baby that she bore in a miracle that she's done her best to raise that now is taking on the sins of the world. And he says, hey, John, I want you to now consider my mom your mom. Mom, here's your new son. John's going to take care of you. Consider this, that Jesus, in the midst of pain, was, was addressing those in society that feel abandoned, that feel heartbroken, that feel separated from any sort of hope. And he's caring for and showing responsibility for the individual while bearing the weight of humanity. It's remarkable. Then he says this, standing up on his feet, he says, I'm thirsty. That one always kind of gets me. It's like, no, Jesus, you're dying. You, you have been flogged and beaten and abandoned and stripped naked. You have a crown of thorns pressed on your head. You're suffocating. You, you're, you're bearing this burden. And he goes, yeah, I'm, I'm thirsty. And in this moment, I, I am reminded immediately of his humanity. What humanity Jesus had. It's easy to look at Jesus and go, oh, yeah, he died like a superhero, right? He's God. He does what we can't do. But he was fully God and fully man. And his humanity leaks through in this moment where he goes, I'm still feeling a human sensation of thirst. And immediately I'm reminded with the, the flooding realization of the actual pain Jesus was willing to endure so that we could live in wholeness. Before we're done today, we'll, we'll remember communion, his broken body for our wholeness. Then he, then he stood up and in a loud voice he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's only one of three times in the Bible where it says Jesus raised his voice. I'm sure he cheered for other things. Maybe he, maybe he expressed something, but, but only three times it's recorded. Once when he said in a loud voice, if anybody is thirsty, they should come to me and streams of living water will flow from within them. 
Once when he stood at the, the throat of Lazarus's tomb and spoke to a man who had died four days earlier and said, Lazarus, come forth, come alive. And he brought life to Lazarus. And then once at this moment on the cross where he expressed that separation, my God, why have you forsaken me? Really giving voice and language to the human experience, that separation from God, which is more painful than, than physical pain. It's more, more uh, agonizing than disappointment or sorrow. But then he says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Reminding us that Jesus wasn't murdered, he gave his life. Jesus didn't eventually go like, well, you win. He gave his life willing. You know, when I was a kid, I, I used to kind of wish just for a moment that Jesus would have showed off right there. Just flexed a little bit. That, that as he was going, he's like, into your hands, I commit my spirit. If just, instead, if he had just kind of like, and one hand comes off the cross, another hand comes off the cross, pulls off that crown and just kind of flings it into the crowd. And then does, you know, one of the superhero stances where he jumps off the cross and Just flex on them all. Like, you, do you know who I am? You get it, right? And I was like, as an eight-year-old, I'm like, that would have been such an awesome story. And they're just like, and then he goes, you, you know who I am. I read myself into the Bible as the wrong character. I read myself and it's like, that would be amazing because I'd always be a fan of Jesus, not realizing that if he were to do that, I would be damned eternally. And we wouldn't look as good Friday as a good day. It'd be the worst of all days. We wouldn't see this as a good thing if God's like, and now he, I'm going to flex on you all and show you my wrath. But instead, he willingly entrusts his life to the Father. And then finally, his final words upon the cross are, it is finished. Not crying out as a victim. Not, not like, well, I guess I'm done. But crying out in victory. He had completed everything that needed to be done. It is finished. If I could choose last words, th those would be mine. I'd love to be able to look confidently over the course of my life and say, I just, I did it. Everything I needed to do, I did it. I'm confident and at peace. I accomplished everything that was laid out for me. Jesus said, it is finished. With perspective, we look on that moment and we hear what Jesus was trying to say. But in that moment, this was only bad news. In that moment, for, for the people nearest him, it was like, called it. I knew it was too good to be true. You got me, Jesus. For a little bit there, you had me going that maybe there was a hope, but, but you have a, a terrible conclusion just like the rest of us. Called it. We're oppressed. We're, we're in a bad situation. We're hopeless and we're powerless. Called it. I knew it was going to end this way. There had to be one of the disciples, probably Thomas. He's like, I always knew it was going to end this way. <laughs> Called it. For, for the, 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 the people kind of in the extension of Jesus' world, not his 12 disciples, but those near him, it was like, well, I guess it's over. Even Jesus said it was finished. For, for those in the religious sect of the time, who wanted this to happen and were orchestrating this happens, they're like, there, it's finished. We did it and we solved the Jesus problem. He's not going to be in our way 
anymore. For Pilate, who represented the Romans, he said, you know what, guys, it's kind of getting late. If we could, why don't you just go break all their legs real quick? Because this is kind of taking a while. And then when they came to Jesus, they said, actually, he's already, he's already dead. He's like, okay, just stab him with a spear then. Like, we're talking brutality. For all of them, they were saying it is finished. Today, I want to share just a brief thought around this occurrence on the topic, let's go. Can you turn to the person beside you and say, let's go? Okay, no, don't actually leave, okay? Don't actually walk out. Maybe say it a little more in like the, uh, the hype-up sporting type tone. Let's go. Can I hear a little let's go? Jesus, when he went to the cross and he said it is finished, what he was also saying is, now that this part of the journey is finished, let's go into the eternity I have in store for you. Death? Oh, it's finished. Let's go into life. Darkness? It is finished. Let's go into light. Oh, hopelessness? Oh, it's finished. Let's go into hope-filled, joy-filled, peace-filled, ordained, purposed steps and vision. Let's go. Let's go into that type of future. Uh, Like I said, I I was in, in Toronto uh, the last couple of days, got in late last night uh, to be here with us today. And, and while I was there, I went to a Blue Jays game. Anyone ever been to a live sporting event? Live sporting event? Yeah, I love, I love going. To, I think it's the greatest entertainment. Blue Jays game is awesome. It's 14 bucks. It was great. Now, I had a terrible seat, but I was in the room. And, uh, and, and so we were there and uh, enjoying our, our time watching live sports. And I, I feel like those are environments that kind of highlight there, there are different types of people. You know what I'm saying? Different types of people. Like there are some people who are just certain they've missed their calling and they would make a better referee or umpire than whoever the referee or umpire is or whatever the sport. They know all the rules inside and out. <laughs> There's a lot of people that, that show themselves as true hidden athletes who just somehow the draft missed them. They're like, oh, I could have hit that. Oh, I could have done that. There was a kid sitting a couple rows behind me, 14, probably 15-year-old kid, and, and he's like, here's what's going to happen next. Here's what's going to happen next ground out to second base. And then it wouldn't happen. He'd be like, okay, 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 okay. Here's what's going to happen next. He's going to swing, and he's going to miss the next one, but then the one after that, he'll hit, and then the one after that, he, he's going to steal a base. And then it wouldn't happen. He's like, okay, 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 okay. Here's what, <laughs> and I was like, you are a bad prognosticator. You don't get this. There's the people who are certainly just there for the food, and I, I don't know. that like, It was not a $14 ticket for them. It's like a $100 date night each. You know, they're just bringing buckets and buckets of popcorn. There's those people. But I find the most defining characteristic is that there's some people who leave before the game is over and some people who wait till the end. You know what I'm talking about? There's some people who at some point in time make the assessment, it's finished, let's go. And then there's another group of people who wait till it's really finished and go, let's go. Like there, there's those two groups of people. And you can watch that there's like shifts of momentum that take place and a whole other group of people kind of go, well, that's my cue. It's finished, let's go. It's usually near the end of the game, but I was sitting beside this group of people In the third inning, now just to give a little bit of highlight, there's nine innings in a game of baseball. In inning three, these guys all turned to the other, like, you good, you good? Yeah, yeah, let's go, let's get out of here. And they left in the third inning. I'm like, did you just want the free t-shirt? 
They left in the third, and there was probably some followers of Jesus who would have been similar. They were like, yeah, I follow Jesus. I think there's going to be some free t-shirts. He gives up bread and fish. Like, he multiplies food. Wherever he goes, there's, like, miracles and stuff. Last week, he came in on a donkey. That was cool. People are throwing their jackets down. It's just crazy to kind of be around the action. But as soon as it's like, ooh, it's finished, let's go. Let's get out of here. The Bible says that, that his disciples actually were amongst those who abandoned him. They came to a point where they said, this is not trending well. They didn't wait till the end of the game. Instead, the Bible says, check this out on the screen. It says they all fled. Everyone deserted him and fled. They all made the collaborative assessment. This is not going to end well. I don't want to be here when the pieces are, are, are being picked up. We had a good run. I'm out. They deserted him. His closest friends, he had invested so much time into them, and they deserve him. Easy for me in 2022 to look back and be a hater. Not me. I would have stayed with him. But I just kind of deny him in my own thought life and actions all the time. There was a group of people kind of further out around that. Many of them would have been like the women who were part of, of the community, and they came to the moment of his death and he had died and they were there at the cross and, and then they said, well, it is the religious holiday. We're not allowed to do any work today. And so let's wait till the third day and then we'll come back and we'll address his body then. We'll bring some spices, we'll bring some perfume and we'll try to address the need there. But in the meantime, it's finished. Let's go. There was a group of people, as I mentioned, part of the religious sect of the time who were very... Uh, you know, set on making sure they could still follow their religious customs carefully. It's like, we got to wrap this thing up. Come on, let's finish this thing up because we have to go be good people. In fact, we've got to prepare a sacrifice to take into the temple so that in the temple we can have a moment where our sins have been covered. And uh, if we're still out here while Jesus is dying, we're going to miss the moment where we get to connect with God. So it's finished. Let's go. There's this different group of people. Can I read you? Just a, a, little, a little story here. I'm going to go to the book of John. This will not be on the screen. Let me just, just read it to you. Uh, John uh, chapter uh, uh, 19. Correction, John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 1. It said this, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, and she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples and the one that Jesus loved. This is a great way that John inserts himself into his own story. He gives himself a little nickname. There's no evidence that Jesus ever used the nickname, but he kind of likes it. He's like, the one that Jesus loved. He goes, she came, she told Peter, of course, but she also told the one that Jesus loved. And, and she said this, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started to the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter, and he reached the tomb first. I love that the, it's like the pettiness that exists within all group of friends. In your group of friends, there's someone who's that guy, right? If you don't know who that guy is, you're that guy in your group of friends, and everyone's looking over at you right now. There's one of them who just needs to make sure, like, I was loved more, and I'm faster, and the two are probably linked. Jesus noticed my speed when he called me. He's like, that's the kind of guy I want to invest my life with. Crazy. So they ran. He made it there first. Verse 5, it says, he bent over. He looked into the strips of linen lying there but didn't go in. When Peter came along behind him, 
He went straight into the tomb. He saw strips of linen there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and he believed, but didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus would rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. You see, even in this, they they kind of had like a, a momentary experience with hope. They're like, well, Jesus isn't where we left him. This tomb had been guarded by by a Roman battalion. It had been sealed by the emperor's seal. It wouldn't have been something that you would ever mess with. And, And then the Bible says that the pieces of linen were left folded. That's not a grave robbing scenario. We're like, by the way, I'm just gonna leave this room exactly how I found it. So they were like, I believe, but I don't even know what I'm believing right now. And maybe some of us in the room, that's where we're at. We're like, yeah, Jesus, I got this crucifix thing. I don't know what that means, but I kind of aligned myself a little bit with some of his teachings. But then they said, well, I guess it's finished. Let's go. And meanwhile, what Jesus was trying to communicate was that he was alive. He, He appears to them, the Bible says, when they are locked up in fear. Check out what the Bible says. It says they were all gathered together behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. They had just been in a setting where they, they watched their hero die. They watched their hero, who, who seemed to transcend all human expectation, be brutally killed. And so they're like, if he's going to come after Jesus, maybe they come after us. And they're scared. And into that environment, Jesus walks into the room and appears and he says, peace be with you. He says, it is finished. Everything that has robbed you of peace, now let's go into hope. Let's go into a future. Can we turn really briefly over to the book of Romans? Romans chapter 3. I want to show you uh, what, what took place in that moment. Jesus not only dying, but rising again. I was saying to Jennifer on my way to church today, we were talking, I said, to be honest, I think I, I preach better about the cross than the grave. To be honest, I think we write better songs about the cross than we do the grave. I think it's easier to rally around the cross than it is the grave. But if not for the empty tomb, the cross is just bad news. But, but what it is, is a defining moment. What it is, is a defining demarcation. It's the end of something, and so we can look to it. And what we don't know about the, the empty tomb is, well, what all does this mean? It's just kind of going on into, into the future. There's a definition to that moment. A few weeks ago, we were in this room celebrating a wedding. I love weddings. I love weddings, and the bride's walking down, and everyone stands up and goes, oh, she's beautiful. I never look at the bride. I don't really care about the bride in that moment. I like watching the groom, ugly crying. It's my favorite. Everyone's like, the bride is so beautiful. I'm like, but look at the groom. He's so ugly. It's amazing. <laughs> I just can't believe this moment. You know? There's beauty in, in the moment that's taking, taking place. What's happening is the end of one season and the beginning of a new one. It's the end of singleness, and it's the beginning of marriage because with every ending, there's a new beginning. I, I don't know if you noticed today, but as we were worshiping, I was looking over on this side of the stage as Letitia was singing and thinking, we just might have a baby born during the service. It's going to be any day now, and what will be the end of one season is the beginning of a new one, entering into parenthood. It's going to be amazing. There's 
beginnings and endings. What took place in those days between it is finished and peace be with you was the end of one season and the beginning of a new one. It was, it is finished, now let's go. Look what, what, what uh, Paul says in describing that. Starting in, uh, I'll start in verse 21 to give us a little running start here. He says this, Romans chapter 3, 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's now no difference between Jews or Gentiles. See, see, he's addressing both groups of people that, that took part in, in the death of Jesus, some who were kind of on the inside of that sect, who had a beef with Jesus, and then another group who just loved to flex their power. They represented the empire. They had no concern whatsoever for Jesus, but they liked to make sure that they showed their dominance. And he goes, but you just need to know, no matter whether you feel on the inside of this or the outside of this, there's now no difference between you. Here's what, what, what makes us the same. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Have you ever heard people say that you've got to find your tribe? You ever heard that saying? Like, yeah, I moved to a new city, kind of hard to connect here. I'm having a hard time relating to people. But then I found some hikers. I found my people, the hiking people. I found my, my, my tribe. I feel like I'm a part of something. Have you ever been around that, that type of group? You, you know, maybe, maybe you have an older taste in music, and you're like, man, everyone's like they're playing this different kind of music. But then I found a group of people who still play punk rock. I found my people. I found, right? Well, well the Bible would say this. You can find your group with other unrighteous people. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So, hey, I've found my people. I'm a bunch of, around a bunch of unrighteous sinners. I've found my tribe. I belong here. And what Paul is speaking to is, is a group that felt very separated by their heritage. And he goes, oh, you think you're different? No, no, no. You're way more the same than you think because you're all sinners. There, there's an a, a evening act that takes place at the foot of the cross. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. One commentarian put it this way. He said, we engage in comparison always. And that is true, isn't it? In a room like this, uh, uh, on a subconscious level, people walk in and they make assessments about where they think they fit. Some base that on things like their height. They walk in and usually, you know, little kids, they show this a lot. They're like, how tall am I? Have I reached them yet? And they're like, they do this, right? I think I'm taller. I think I'm taller than my older sibling. And there is, is like things as crazy as that. Some look around and they try to make an assessment on, on, on possession. Some make an assessment based on uh, what it seems people do for a living. Everyone's making comparative assessments all the time. We want to mature out of that. But even though the Bible says when you compare yourself to yourself, you're not wise. Well, we found our people. We're all unwise. We struggle in this. And, and so this one commentarian said, you may feel like you're righteous. And compared to a murderer... They're in the, the bottom of a pit, and you are standing on the top of the Alps. Which one is closer to touching the stars? The answer is like, it, it, it's inconsequential. We've both fallen so far short of the stars. It doesn't matter. The, the, the diminutive comparisons that you make, which, by the way, if you make comparisons of who's better, you're probably the one in the pit. Truth be, be told, self-righteousness is a terrible kind of sin. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. The, the, the cross happened for all of us. 
And because the cross happened for all of us, the Bible goes on to say this. Not only have we all sinned, but we have all been justified freely through grace. It's great news, guys. Freely. Not cheaply. Freely. Not, well, no one was really interested, so it's in the bargain bin, and now if you want it, you can take it. A choice, the most precious gift given, was uh, addressed to us freely. Justification. Can you turn to the person beside you and say justification? You didn't know this. You're going to get a quick little theology lesson, okay? What took place between it is finished and peace be with you was justification. Jesus made a way so that you and I could be made just before God. Now, God is perfectly just. He has determined that sin must be paid for. And God, who is the righteous judge, there was only one way possible that he could be both just and justifier. And that's for Jesus to take our place. So Jesus willingly took our place. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. God, why have you forsaken me? Into my hands I commit, or your hands I commit my spirit. Willingly took our place so that God the Father could look at you and I and say, not guilty. That is better news than you sound like right now. Come on, I'm looking at your faces right now. He did this so you and I could be declared not guilty. You're like, well, I know I'm guilty. Not in God's eyes, you're not. Not guilty. Jesus took our sin so we could be his righteousness. It's scandalous. It's crazy. That's what happens in between it is finished and my peace be with you. It is finished. Now let's go into peace. Is Jesus took our place so God sees us and goes not guilty. He says justification has been given freely. And in this freedom of justification, we have all received redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. Can someone say redemption? redemption. Come on, everyone say redemption. redemption. So we got justification. We've got redemption. Redemption is not a courtroom term. Redemption was a marketplace term of the time. It was a statement used for those who were enslaved. In slavery to a master and looking to be purchased out of that, they could be redeemed where someone could come and say, what, what is it going to cost me to set that person free? I would like to purchase their freedom from you. Now, the one who was enslaved could not purchase their own freedom because they were owned and everything they owned was then also owned. So they were incapable and unpowerful to set themselves free, but an external person could come and redeem them. The Bible says that Jesus not only justified us, but he redeemed us. He paid a price that we could not pay, that we certainly owed, so that we're not only called not guilty, but we're also called free. Freedom's a good thing. We're not just declared, God says we're, we're not guilty, now get out of my, my sight. Because it's possible God could say, you're not guilty, but I don't want to talk to you anymore. It's not guilty, but you got yourself into this mess, now you got to get yourself out of it. No, God says you're not guilty and you're free. I've purchased your freedom. And then it goes on to, to, to say this. Now, this third one you'll probably never use in a sentence, but we're going to use it right now anyway, okay? It says this, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because of his forbearance or his patience that he had in sins committed beforehand. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness at this present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. The third thing that took place, justification, redemption. Thirdly, a word again you're never going to use, but we're going to say it all together here. It's the word propitiation. Can you say it with me? Propitiation. propitiation. 
When I see a word like this, I'm like, can you please use it in a sentence? Can you give me its origin? And then propitiation, P-R-O-P-I-T-I-A-T-I-O-N, propitiation. Ding, 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 okay, spelling bee word. Propitiation, it's not just a spelling bee word, it's actually really powerful. This word propitiation it is not a courtroom term, it's not a marketplace term, it was a temple term. It was a religious term, meaning a covering over sin. Propitiation was an, the, 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 the atoning cover for sin. And Jesus came not only to say you're not guilty, not only to say you're free, but also to say, and you have been made clean. You're completely cleansed. You don't carry that, that stink on you anymore. You don't carry the residual effect. Like you were declared not guilty, but some of the evidence kind of looked a little bit shady. He actually came to cover over our sin. And if by faith we come under the covering of his blood shed on the cross, then God sees us as righteous, clean. There are some of us who are reliving our past, and God's like, you lost me, guys. You're like, well, I'm just so terrible. That thing I did, that thing I said, I can't believe I did that. And God's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, what? But you're God. You know everything. He's like, yeah. And I've made the determination to take your sin and to throw it in a sea of forgetfulness. It's under the blood of Jesus. It's been covered. When I see you, all I see is righteousness. Don't relive your past anymore because we can't connect if we're just talking through all your past mistakes. If they have come under the blood of Jesus, they have been covered once and for all. There's now no longer any sacrifice for those who are in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. Therefore, the new has come. It is finished. Now let's go. Let's go into righteousness and stop rehashing and reliving and re-going through it. At this present time, Jesus made a way for us to be declared not guilty, free, and cleansed. It's great news. So what do we do with it? The, the disciples, they, they fled. The, the community of people, they said, well, I guess we're just going to have to wait in our sorrow and in our weakness. The religious people returned to their religion. Even the disciples, when they saw the empty tomb, said, I don't know what to do with this, though. And then Paul kind of tries to bring some clarity. He goes, here's what you need to do with this. You need to receive it by faith. So I want to give, give us the same invitation today, that as we gather and, and someone on a platform said, he is risen, and they're like, he is risen indeed, and then we sang some songs and we, we, we celebrated a bit, it, like what are we going to do with it? If there's no let's go, then what are we talking about? If there's no tomb, what are we singing about? Imagine just looking at the cross saying, God must be so mad at us right now. Look what we did to his son. Remember, I used to be part of a church years ago, and on, on a regular basis, there would be these moments in time, like at a, like a retreat, where they're like, now we're going to get down deep into what actually happened on the cross. And it would just be like this long discussion where by the end you're like, I feel terrible. Look what I did to Jesus. I victimized him. I'm his oppressor. I feel like I basically had the hammer in my hand and I drove that nail in. And it was like to, to bring you to a breaking point. The, the purpose of the gospel is not to condemn you. It's not to make you feel bad and rub your face in your sin. It's actually to give you vision for a future 
that doesn't include guilt, a future that doesn't include fear, a future that doesn't include that feeling of being trapped in your sin, like I don't know how to get out of this, a future that doesn't include hopeless religion where you're striving and never quite getting there. Jesus came to justify us, redeem us, and make propitiation covering over all our sins. What will we do with it? I propose that if it is really finished, let's go. Let's experience his freedom together. Told you I was at a Blue Jays game. The end of the game comes. It's getting to the end. And, uh, and, and the music changes. And the light kind of changes in the place. And there's a walk-on song. And the closer is walking into the room. And there's kind of like a... Like a roar in the room. Everyone's getting all excited because the game's almost actually going to finish. Half the crowd is left because they made an assumption about how this thing was going to end. Some in frustration, some in, in kind of like just statistical assuredness. They're like, it's probably going to end this way. But for those who remained, it's like there's a, there's a buzz through the crowd. And then the wave started. People are doing the wave. And the pitcher gets up. they got their music going. They throw the first pitch. It's a strike. Everyone's loud. And it goes and, and ultimately ends in a win. People are cheering. They're, they're hugging people they've never met before. They're throwing pop bottles in the air. There's excitement. You know what happened when Jesus said it was finished? The Bible says this, that he spoke the words, it is finished, and then the sky got dark, and then the earth began to quake, and then people who were in the tomb, who were already dead, actually started to get up and be raised to life. We're talking a zombie apocalypse. People are walking out of the grave going, what just happened? What year is it? What time is it? We look back and we're like, yeah, it was probably pretty much the same. How would that be if someone came to life now like, what is in your hand? That's a phone. I'm weirded out. People are coming to life. And then the most significant thing took place. In the temple, there was one defined place where God said, I'll meet you there. But you have to meet on my terms. One person, once a year, carrying the sin of the whole nation, come with a sacrifice, do everything just precisely right. And then for a moment, <sighs> We can connect. And the Bible says not only did the earth shake, not only did the sky change, not only were dead people getting up out of the grave. Like everyone there would have known something weird happened here. This was not just, the Bible says even the centurion who was overlooking it, like overseeing Jesus' execution and actually said, surely that is the son of God. It's like, we did something real bad here, guys. But then it says this, that in the, in the temple, there was like a, a thick curtain that separated that one defined place from all of the community and it had a big curtain in, in front of it. And the Bible says from top to bottom, that curtain was torn. And it was like God was saying, you can now enter in. You can now come close because peace I bring to you. Crossing, would you bow your heads? I want to pray with you today as the band returns to the stage. And I want to ask you the question, do you know that you're in right standing with God? Now, rolling through your mind might be like, well, my parents are good people. I came from a good upbringing. I, I try my best. I work hard. Maybe in comparison, you're thinking things like, well, I'm better than most people. I hope I'm in. I hope it's okay. I don't know, but, I, but I'd like to think so. The Bible says you can actually have a blessed assurance that you know that you know. And that only comes by partnering your faith with God's grace. His grace justifies, redeems, and propitiates, covers. And our faith is the only thing God asks of us, that we respond in faith.
So I want to give an opportunity in the room that we could together make a declaration of faith in Jesus. And if you're here and you, you aren't in good standing with God, you're like, I don't, think, I don't think I'm where I need to be, then don't leave today without knowing that you're taking a first step. And what the Bible says is that you, in that moment, are free from guilt. It's finished. You're free from imprisonment and enslavement to your sin. It's finished. You're free from that need to constantly try to make things right because God has made you clean. It's finished. A new beginning. No one's looking around. Eyes are closed. Heads are bowed. If you want to begin a relationship with Jesus today, wherever you're sitting, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you. I'm looking around the room. Yeah, I see you. Who else? You say, that's me today. Yeah, I see you. Awesome. Who else? You say, that's me today. I want to get my life right with God. No one's looking around. I'm not going to put a microphone in your face. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. Don't want to miss anyone. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what? I feel maybe kind of like the disciples. Like, I believe. I just don't know what I'm believing and I'm kind of just wandering through this thing in fear. Don't know what's next. But I want some confidence that I'm making steps with God. If that's you, would you raise your hand as well? I want to kind of realign myself with God. Get my life on track. Get my life right. Awesome. I see you. I see you. Awesome. Let's pray this prayer of faith together, okay? If you're living for Jesus, you could join us. A bunch of people making a decision today for the first time. Or making a decision maybe for like a last time, saying, I made my decision. This is what, the way I want to live. Could you pray with us? Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me, for calling me. Today I sense your grace for my life. And in faith, I repent of my sin and I receive your forgiveness. I can't do this on my own but I believe that you've justified me, you've redeemed me, and you've covered my sin in Jesus' name. God, right now, for every person praying this prayer, I pray for your peace that passes understanding to guard their heart and to guard their mind. And in the days and weeks and seasons to come, that as we walk out in your hope and your purpose for our life, that we would see the end of one season has become the beginning of the most incredible season. We can see a defining moment this day, April 17th, 2022, the end of one season where Jesus said, it is finished and the beginning of all you have for my future, a peace. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. As the band sings this song again, I'm going to ask our ushers to come. They're going to serve some emblems, some communion emblems. If you are in relationship with Jesus, I'd love to invite you to be a part of this. This is something that Jesus says, anyone who believes, take bread, take a cup. We're going to have a moment together. If you're uncertain or you say, man, I'm going to just wait and kind of see, you can still take one of these and just wait it out and see. I'm going to lead us in this moment in just a second after they lead this course once through. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church Podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.